Good evening, brethren. Welcome to the final life class for the month of February. What a wonderful month it has been. God is good who keeps us and keeps us keeping on. He's such a faithful God. It's been a month of walking with God and how blessed it is to walk with God. How blessed it is to know that we are not workers for God. We are walkers with God, his sons, his daughters, his dear friends. He hides nothing from us. We give him all the glory. We're in for a wonderful life class tonight. I want to encourage you right now, go ahead and invite everybody you know to join us in this life class. Go, go ahead, send out those text messages, those WhatsApp messages. If you've been blessed so far throughout this month, you really don't want them to miss the icing on the cake, the climax of our series of teachings. Last week, Wednesday was simply phenomenal with myself and Pastor Abby answering the questions that you brought to the table about relationships. And I want to believe God that those, those answers have really, really been helpful to so many of you. I hope that you are running with the truth that you have gained, even in that time of interaction. Well, we're in for a great time tonight. It's been the month of walking with God and in our midweek life class series, we've been dealing with back to love, going back to the love of God. I'm climaxing it tonight and the pilot text that I'm going to use as the foundation for tonight's teaching is that famed, that most popular verse. You know, when we were growing up as, uh, as children, um, Christian children, we had to memorize uh, verses. And one of the most popular verses that virtually so many of us had memorized was John 3.16. Just John 3.16. This famed portion of scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Proof of love is in the giving. You give to what you love. God so loved the world that he gave, not just his first, but his only begotten son. When you give your only, when you give your only, it means you have nothing left behind to hold on to. You have nothing left to give. There are a lot of men that are able to give as long as they still have something left behind. Even the best of us, a lot of the time we give to people, but we uh, make sure that we keep something back for ourselves. So when the scripture says that God gave his only begotten son, it means that he didn't have any other spare backup son in the wing somewhere. I can give this one while I keep that one. He gave his only, he gave his best. Scarce few are willing to give their only, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoa! What great love. God was motivated by this love to give his only son. He's motivated by love in everything that he does. God so loved the world. God loves the world. God loves the world. And as children of God, as sons of the Most High, 
we too are meant to share his passion, his zeal, and his love for the world. You and I are meant to love the world too. And so the subject of my meditation, this final life class for the month of February is called to love the world or loving the world. Choose which of those titles you like the best. Loving the world. Let's share a word of prayer. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me that you speak through me, that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women that are listening to me, whether they are listening live or they're watching this later, that that truth that is inscribed upon their hearts will catapult them to a new level of experience with you. Almighty Father, do that which only you can do. Cause me to do no injustice to your word, but to rightly divide it in the mighty name of Jesus. I do pray. Amen and amen. We've had a great time this month so far. Just a phenomenal time teaching and sharing God's word. We started by laying the foundation about God's first love towards us. God loved us first. We went on to start to deal with how we are meant to love God back. Last week, we dealt with relationship answers. But our response needs to go beyond love for those in the house of faith in the household of faith, you know, in loving God back, we love our brothers and sisters. We have it has to move forward to loving the world, to reaching the world. We are called to love the world. Okay, let's move forward. Paul in ex exhorting exhorting Timothy on intercession for all men and for kings and for all those that are in authority, uh, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. He in that in that instruction in that teaching in that exhortation that he gave to Timothy, he he now revealed to us God's top desire and priority in second in First Timothy and chapter two verse four, and he, he this is the statement that is written there about God, God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you hear that? God desires not some men, not most men. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's interesting that the scripture is structured that way. It says, that men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. These two things are so closely linked together that they could be one and the same. But there's a reason that he divides them. He says, be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It's possible to be saved and yet not have come to the full knowledge of the truth. Hallelujah. Now, what is the truth? What is the truth that God desires that all men come to the knowledge of? That truth we find in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 19. What's that truth? Listen to the truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world 
to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Woo! Glory to God. This is the truth. This is the truth. The truth is, the truth is the price has already been paid. The truth is God is no longer angry because the righteous demands of a just God has been fulfilled by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Do you get it? God has already reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what that truth, that verse is saying. God has already reconciled the whole world back unto himself through Christ Jesus, no longer imputing their trespasses against them. God is no longer taking account of sin against the whole of mankind, against all men, because Jesus paid for it all. That is the truth. And somebody needs to be excited elated and give God the glory that this is the great truth that God has paid the price through Christ Jesus and has already reconciled the world uh, unto himself. Now you can start to see why God's top desire therefore is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that all men come to the knowledge of the truth that He's already paid the price, that, that the price has been paid, that the door has been opened, that access has been granted. This is his top desire. This is what God wants men to see, that look, the price has been paid, the door has been, uh, has been opened, you have been reconciled. It's time for you to come into the knowledge of that truth, and by receiving that truth, you will be saved. Now, hallelujah. Somebody give God the glory tonight. Just, just go ahead and give him the glory. Give him the glory for that truth. Because sometimes this is, we miss this truth. And we present other things as the truth. Uh, we, we misrepresent God as still a God that is looking to punish and to judge and to uh, main people. No, sir. No, siree. God has already paid the price through Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, I've paid the price. I've reconciled you. Receive this reconciliation. And that same ministry of reconciliation has now been committed to you and to me to tell the world that, hey, Jesus has paid the price. Come and receive this awesome gift of salvation. Now, our needs have often driven us to God. Our needs have often driven us to God because uh, he will supply for all of our needs according to his riches in glory, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. So we are often, a lot of us are driven by our needs. And if we're not careful, we get seduced into a need-based relationship with God, where we always have need of need to seek God. Uh, we easily make the mistake that the kingdom mandate, therefore, is all about meeting our needs. And I dare say that sometimes the emphasis of the teaching of the gospel uh, by many sectors today seems to put so much emphasis on God wants to meet your need. God wants to give you more than enough. He came that He may, you might have life and have life more abundantly. All truths that I agree with and that I myself preach but and teach but if we are not 
careful we make this the entirety of the kingdom mandate of what Christianity is all about, that Christianity is all about meeting our needs and giving us the best life ever here on earth. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have the best life ever here on earth, but we make it seem that that is all that it is about. Live, live your best life now. But no, sir, that's not what it is about. Those are fringe benefits, great benefits that we should not be denied of, but that's not the essence of the gospel and the kingdom. And if we don't get it right, what happens is that our churches become bless me clubs, where we're coming in simply to get a feeling of being blessed. That devil is a liar. Now, so what is the true essence, the core of the kingdom of God? and of the church, the assignment and the purpose of the church. We read, up, we read about it in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and verse 12, where he says that Jesus gave gifts unto men. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And then he tells us why. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So herein is the mandate, the purpose, the manifest of the church. It's embedded here. Jesus gives the fivefold ministry to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The work of what ministry? The work of the ministry of reconciliation that we just quoted from 2 Corinthians and chapter 5 that he has given us the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. So, pastors like myself, fivefold ministry like myself, equip believers like yourselves to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation resulting in the growth of the body of Christ, both in quantity and in quality. So the church is not meant to be just a bless me club. Pastor, bless me if you can. Pastor, have you got it together this Sunday morning, this Wednesday evening to give me a word that would tintalize my soul and make me feel happy? Lord, uh, Pastor, give me the fix for this week. Pastor, motivate me to be able to run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and if I'm running low Wednesday, I'll come for a top up on Wednesday evening uh, to make it through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then come back Sunday. Pastor, bless me again. No, sir, the church is not meant to be just a bless me club. Don't get me wrong, we get blessed in church, we get blessed in church, but the church is really meant to be a reach them club reach them club. Not a bless me club, but a reach them club. The church is meant to be a spiritual boot camp where we get equipped and trained to reach the world for God so loved the world. If this is God's top desire, if this is God's top priority, you can imagine that therefore he wants his saints, his believers, his sons and his daughters to be equipped and trained to reach the world. So this is how it works. Once you and I are reached for Christ, we are then meant to be equipped and turn around to reach others for Christ. This is the assignment. Hallelujah. We are reached for Christ and then we are equipped 
and we turn around to reach others for Christ. We don't keep it to ourselves. We share it with others. This is the assignment. In the last number of weeks, we've come to see the immense love of God, the great extent to which God goes to show his love towards us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He Paul prayed that we might know the immense dimensions of the love of God that passes knowledge. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us from the very foundations of the world. We are debtors to his great love and our reasonable response is to love him back. Two Wednesdays ago, we started exploring how to love God back for real in very practical terms, not just in word, but also in deed. But can I say to you that there is no proof of your love for an invisible God, but in your practical show of love towards your brothers and sisters. But let me argue further, let you know that the highest expression of your love for God is actually in loving what God loves. Your highest expression of your love for God is actually in loving what God loves. What does God love? For God so loved the world. So God loves the world. So we too are meant to love the world. It's in loving the world. It's easy to love those that love you back in the body of Christ. But the real test is in loving a world that does not reciprocate that love. There are a lot of us that the way we govern our love life is I love you if you love me. If you respond to my love by loving me back i love you the more so this is how we conduct our life it's tit for tat if i send you a birthday card then you you should send me a birthday card and then i'll send it another birthday card next time uh, so it always has to be reciprocal but what god has called us to do is to love a world that is not necessarily willing to reciprocate the love that we are showing towards them and can i even go further and tell you that today the world even hates us more than ever before. They consider Christians and Christianity to be to be dinosauric, <laughs> to be obsolete. Uh, they, they labeled us with all sorts of names. But don't be faced by that. Jesus himself said in the book of John and chapter 15, verse 19 and 19, uh, 18 and 19, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So don't consider it a strange thing that the world hates you. It hated your Lord and Master Jesus. You are not of the world, but you are sent into the world to save the world. Our assignment remains that we are 
an, an assignment to love the world. Okay, I need to quickly take a sidestep and help somebody who is even struggling with the whole phase and instruction of loving the world because they remember verses in the scripture that says uh, you should not love the world. Doesn't the word not tell us not to love the world? And here you are telling us that we should love the world. Let's let's rightly divide God's word and go to the scripture where that is said in the book of First John and chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. It says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh." The lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it is of the world. My goodness, huh? can't it be? How can it be any clearer than this? This is so clear. It says, Do not love the world. And, Pastor, you're telling us to love the world. He said, Do not love the world. He says that anyone that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ah, uh, so how can you be telling us that we are meant to love the world? You've got to rightly divide God's word. The world, in the context of this verse, is not talking about the people of the world. It's talking about the priorities of the world, the priorities of the, of the unsaved. When you read the text properly, it goes on to define what the world is. It tells you that the world, all that is in the world is what? It is the lust of the flesh. It is the lust of the eyes and it is the pride of life. It's telling you that this is what is important to the world. This is what is important to the un unsaved. This is what motivates them, what their flesh craves, what their eyes desire, who they rate in comparison with themselves. That's the pride of life. The world is constantly comparing themselves with themselves. They're checking each other's ratings. This is what makes them, motivates them. This is what their pursuit is. This is what the natural world is all about. God is saying when he says that you should not love the world, he's saying that these must not be your motivation nor your priorities. This must not become the center of your life, that you too are being driven by the lust of the eyes, by the lust of the flesh, by the pride of life. No, 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 no. These are not meant to be our drive. I'm not seeking to be loved by the world. I'm not seeking their ratings and their assessments. No, sir. I am motivated by the love of God and not by external trappings. He's saying, when he says, love not the world, that your priorities cannot be the same as the world's priorities. Our priorities must be God's priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you. So now that you understand that, you can see that we are not contravening or contradicting scripture when I say that you must love the world. Because when I say that you must love the world, I'm talking about you loving the people, 
not the things, not their way of doing things, not their way of life. I'm talking about loving the sinner and not the sin. There are people today that do not want to make that distinction. They want you to say that if you love the sinner, then you must love the sin also. They don't want you to make that demarcation, but that devil is a liar. I can love the sinner while I hate the sin. I can love the peoples of the world while I hate the things of the world. This is where we must mature to and learn. We must learn how to love the peoples of the world without falling prey to their desires and start loving the things of the, the world ourselves. Did you get that? We've got to love the peoples, but we've still got to be wise enough, cunning enough, anointed enough, discerning enough to not fall prey to their desires and start loving the things of the world ourselves. Oh yeah. Listen to what Galatians 6 and verse 1 said, where it says that if a brother be overtaken in the sin, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, lest you yourself be entangled or ensnared or enticed by their sins. Do you hear me what I'm saying? It's telling you that you've got to be careful while you're walking in this world, while you're reaching this world, that you're able to be mature in making that distinction between the sinner and the, and the sinner. I love the sinner. I seek to restore the sinner, but I'm going to make sure I stay clear of the sin. I love the peoples of the world, but not the things of the world. Does that make sense to you now? Hallelujah. So our assignment is to love the world. Woo! Hallelujah. Part of your proof of your love for God is in your love towards the world. Not the things of the world, but the peoples of the world. In the book of Matthew and chapter 10 and verse 16, Matthew 10, 16, he says, Behold, Jesus speaking, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus said to us, his disciples, that he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Oh, we need to be sharp. We need to be discerning. We need to be wise because we are in precarious scenarios. Can you imagine sheep amongst wolves? How do you survive if you are not wise? wise, if you are not discerning, if you are not able to distinguish between the sinner and the sin, if you are not able to make these clear uh, demarcations, if you are not rooted and grounded in the love of God and the truth, uh, yeah, 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 he sends us as sheep amongst uh, uh, wolves. The great commandment, what's the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your being and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment gives birth to the great commission. Did you get that? The great commandment gives birth to the great commission. The great commandment and the great commission are irrevocably connected. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the great commission, what is the great commission? It is to go into all the world. Just as the proof of love is seen in obedience, we must obey the dictates of the great commission. If we obey the great commandment, we must also obey the great commission. Love the world. I'm 
and Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Woo! Hallelujah! This is love's assignment. Love gives you an assignment. Love's assignment is to go into all the world and tell the world of his love. Hallelujah. The assignment is not to go into all the earth, but to go into all the world. There's a difference between the earth and the and the world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The cattle upon the thousand hills, they are all his. Uh, that's uh, the earth. But the world is the cosmos, the structures and the systems of men. So when he tells us to go into the world, he's not just telling you to go door to door, knocking on people's doors and asking them whether they know Jesus and sharing Jesus with them. That's great. That's good. We should go efficient that way. But when we really understand, he's actually telling us that we need to go into the structures, the systems of the world. And there we're supposed to show Jesus. We're supposed to climb the seven mountains of culture and make sure that we represent Jesus in those places. We are sent as sheep amongst wolves. You are meant to be a secret agent. Hallelujah. Infiltration, infiltrating your portion of the world with the gospel of reconciliation, with the gospel of Christ Jesus. Our assignment, listen, is not to stay but to go. Your assignment is not to stay but to go. So you stop using church as the place you are just staying all the time. Yes, you must be planted and you must be faithful in the house of God. But guess what? The purpose is for you to be equipped that you are going and you are bringing others in to the same kingdom liberty that you enjoy. Love's assignment is to go into all the world. Hallelujah. So now we need to start to see the world in a different light from where we, where we used to see the world before. Uh, you need to see the world through the eyes of God's love. Oh my goodness. You've got to see your unsaved colleagues through the eyes of God's love. You need to see your unsaved neighbors through the eyes of God's love. You need to see every man and every woman on your street through the eyes of God's God's love. You need to see that person behind the till in your shopping market through the eyes of God's love. We need to stop seeing men as trees, simple resources that we get things from, and we start to see them as God's own love objects. What is man that thou art mindful of him? God's mind is full of men. We need to start to see uh, the world through God's eyes of love. So uh, uh, our hearts need to overflow with compassion for the world. This is how Jesus uh, saw the world himself. He was constantly moved by compassion. His heart was broken over the deplorable state of fallen man. Ah, Jesus. His heart was broken. Oh, the house of God is meant to have that same heart of compassion and love for the world. Ah, the, the, the people tell you the story. It's right there in God's word where Jesus comes into the temple and he finds them buying and selling. And seemingly contrary to what you would normally 
normally see Jesus do. Uh, he becomes angry uh, and he chases them out of the temple, turning over their tables and shouting and saying, uh, my house is meant to be a house of prayer. Prayer for what? Prayer for all nations. This is talking about this house is meant to be a house that is consumed with love for the world, the peoples of the world, the races of the world, the many millions of people that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's saying, but you've turned that this temple that's meant to be outward focused, you've turned this temple into an inward focus where you're buying and selling, doing commerce in between one another. It's become a glorified bless me club instead of a reach the world club. Ah, Jesus was heartbroken. Ah, he saw the world the way that God saw the world. He was passing by Jerusalem and he cried because he looked at the state of the deplorable fallen state of man. Our preoccupation becomes how we get the world saved. How do we get them into the house of God? How do I make my brothers, my sisters, my colleagues, my neighbors, how do I turn them into becoming my brothers and my sisters in Christ? Too much of the church right now, <laughs> listen to this, hates the world instead of loving the world because they haven't been able to make the distinction between uh, I love the world but I don't love the things of the world. So in their bid to not love the world, they've now unwittingly started to hate even the people of the world. Ah, Another big mistake of the church today is seeking to physically separate yourself from the world, not realizing that our separation from the world is meant to be a moral and a spiritual separation, not a physical separation, because we are sent into that same world, not of the world, but sent into the world to reach the world for Christ. I'm coming to a close. Listen to Jude. Jude verse 21 and 23. It only has one chapter. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And and some have compassion. And on some have compassion, making them, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. I know that's a mouthful, so I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Translation, uh, Jude 21 to 23. In the Amplified Translation, it says, God and keep yourselves in the love of God. Expect and patiently wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which will bring you into life eternal verse 22 and refute as so as to convict some who dispute with you and some have mercy who and on some have mercy who waver and doubt verse 23 strive to save others snatching them out of the fire on others take pity but with fear loathing even the garments spotted by the flesh and polluted by their sensuality. Ooh. All right, let me try to explain that. What is he telling you about? He's saying that there are various categories of people, but our objective with all these categories of people is to reach them and to bring them into the kingdom of God. 
So with some, those that are opposing us, those that are disputing this, the, 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 the gospel and the truth, we, some, those some, we debate with them. We actually debate with them. We, 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 we do everything to try to convince them, particularly not just for them, because some of them cannot be convinced. It's also for the hearing of those that are being swayed by their opinions. Others, you are meant to beseech because they are not so much opposed to your gospel, but they are, they are wavering in the valley of decision. They are doubting. Those type of people, you don't come again to, uh, at them with, with arguments and with debate and all of them. No, no, no. You come with beseechment because you know that all they are is weak and wavering. He says, yet others, we pull urgently out of fire that is about to consume them. You see, so there's some people that we can see that, hey, they are about to enter into great destruction. So we, we express urgency in trying to get them out of the fire. Then still others we must empathize with. The, 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 what we use to reach them is empathy because they are trapped so in other words, when we even see them caught up in their vices that are not good for them, we are not looking down on them with condescension and with, oh, what, how nasty you are. We, our hearts are actually broken because we see that they are actually imprisoned in that vice. They are trapped. And it says that for such people as we empathize and are still trying to reach them, we should still be careful to not ourselves become entangled in their vices. So in bottom line, we do whatever is necessary that men be saved because we love the world like God has loved the world. God has called us to love the world. We need to love the world in practical and real terms. It's time for us to commit to loving the world, not just in word, but in deed. The minimum thing you should be doing is be showing your example of Christ, your joy of the Lord, inviting them into every opportunity you have. You stop seeing, inviting people to the church, inviting people to the house of God as some form of church or some, some form of chore or some form of, I don't know what agenda you think it is. And you start to realize that, no, we are about loving the world. We want to see them saved. We'll do whatever we can to see them saved. We will witness, we will share, we will pull them, we will drag them to come and hear the truth so that they might be saved. We too, like God, desire that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. As we close out tonight, I want you to pray. I want you to take some time right, right now, right now, and I want you to start to pray. Pray that the love of the world will be rekindled within us. Note what that means. I'm not talking about loving the things of the world. I'm talking about loving the peoples of the world. Pray, oh God, rekindle within me the love for the peoples of the world. Oh God, help me to stop seeing my brothers, my sisters, and those around Around, them, around me simply as if they were just trees. No, Lord, help me to start to see them afresh as your daughters, as your sons that you desire to come back into the kingdom, that you've already paid the price for their reconciliation. Pray for the love for the world to be rekindled within you today. Day. Oh, pray that there will be a shift in your mind from a bless me mentality to a reach the world mentality. Ah, come on, pray it right now. Pray it right now. Even tonight, uh, pray. Pray that the zeal for the Lord's 
house will be quickened within you. The zeal for the Lord's house will be quickened within you. That the same way Jesus was so passionate about his house, so shall you be so passionate about his house. You'll be consumed with the desire of seeing his house populated, seeing his house full of the unsaved, now saved, of the backslidden, now restored. Oh, come on, come on. Pray that God will quicken again and afresh within you that passion for the kingdom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, for true revival to hit us that we will really come back to love. It says that in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. I pray that in the name of Jesus, that scripture will not be speaking about you. You will keep your love for the Lord and the, the, your love of the Lord for the world also aflame all the way till the return of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name, I have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to think about practical ways of applying what you have heard tonight. And one of the practical ways is every time we have prayer for souls uh, at, on most Saturdays uh, from 12 noon to 1 p.m. That's a place where you can express in the place of prayer your passion and your zeal to see men and women saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Father, we give you the glory, we give you the praise. If you're out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity, this is your time. Come into what has already been paid for, um, for you. So please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me, for paying the price for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in my heart and I have made this confession with my mouth. Therefore, by faith, I am saved. I have come to the knowledge of the truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are saved indeed. And I'm so excited to welcome you into the body of Christ. You are my brother. You are my sister. This is what we're about. I'm so happy that you have joined us. We want to help you to grow from being a child of God to becoming a son of God. So please direct message us on any of our platforms or visit our website and follow the pathway that is there or send us an email and let's get beside you to help you to grow. This is a great house to be a part of. We welcome you to come and be planted in this house where you'll be trained, where you'll be equipped for the work of the ministry and you'll be blessed also in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Let's close this service with the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercies shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you.